All right, my name is Derek. I'm the director here at Chi Alpha. If this is your first time with us, thank you so much for joining us. I'd love the opportunity to meet you after service. Also, if this is your first week, you picked a very interesting week to check out Chi Alpha because the topic that I'm going to talk about tonight is very, very interesting and unique. We're going to have fun, but we're going to learn a lot as well. Really what the point of tonight is, is we're kind of setting ourselves up for what God's going to do this weekend at Fall Retreat. We're going to talk about this idea called the baptism of the Holy Spirit tonight. And it's a, it's a heady topic. It's a topic that has a lot of different connotations with it. But I'm so excited to discuss this encounter we can have with the Holy Spirit. So if this is your first week, most weeks don't look quite like this. It's a little bit different, but hopefully it's a good different tonight. Anyways, growing up, my dad played electric guitar, and when I say that, that doesn't mean like just playing like John Mayer or something like sexy in the basement. It meant 80s rock and roll, like hair metal in my basement shredding as a child. I was like, this hurts my ears. So I would go down and yell at him like, shut up, dad, you stink, and then he'd just keep playing harder. But that helped me not fall in love with 80s rock and roll, but it helped me fall in love with music. So eventually, I wanted to learn how to play the guitar on my own. So naturally, my parents did what any good parent does, is they went to Walmart and bought me the $7 guitar and signed me up for guitar lessons. However, I was not the most disciplined child, so I never practiced. And my teacher was a grouch and would yell at me every time I didn't practice. She would always get mad at me. To top it all off, I was also how you could describe like a husky child who had a little bit of a belly. And one time my teacher said, Derek, your gut is too big to play guitar because the angle is off because it's so big. It's like up here. (laughs) I quit guitar lessons after that week. When your guitar teacher calls you fat, you know, you know what? I got to take this serious. I'm going to get a bow flex now. It's time to work it out a little bit. But uh, it's all right. Anyway, so a few years later after that, I picked up the bass guitar, and I started learning some things from YouTube. My dad would teach me a few things, but I didn't still know a whole lot about music. I was a musician. I could play the instrument okay, but to be honest, it was a little boring. I wasn't very skilled. I couldn't do anything, like, cool on the instrument. I wasn't like Victor up there. I just did basic dry stuff. I wanted to be a great musician, but I just didn't know how to get there. See, I wanted to shred like my dad, but I was not equipped. Music was a little lifeless for me, if I'm honest. That was until I had this special encounter. I encountered Jeffels. I thought people would laugh at that. Okay, Jeffels, his real name is Jeff. That was my guitar teacher who taught me how to play, but no one laughed at Jeffels. I guess I'm an idiot. Let's keep going. I called him Jeffels because I thought it was funny as a 14-year-old. But he taught me how to play bass guitar, and later he taught me how to play acoustic and electric guitar. I took lessons from this guy once a week, every week, for six years. He taught me so much in regards to music. He taught me music theory. He solidified the basics. He taught me how to play worship music or like music you play at church. Then I got to start playing at my church. Later, he taught me to start doing some really fun things, to shred a little bit. He taught me how to get a little funky. So I did a Stevie Wonder slap bass solo for my music audition as a freshman going to college. And I got the scholarship, so that was fun. He literally taught me how to slap the bass. That's not a joke. It's a real thing you can do. And then later when I wanted to write love songs to my future wife as a 17-year-old, he helped me write those love songs. I wish he wouldn't have, looking back, because that folder's still on my computer, and it's just it's really bad. Well, you can find him if you deep, dig deep enough in the internet, but we'll leave the YouTube away. So Jeff helped make music exciting for me. He gave it life, and it was more fun. Not only that, but I also felt more equipped as a musician to go out and accomplish what I wanted to be as a musician. See, my encounters with Jeff changed everything for me as a musician. And sometimes we can be like me before Jeff. We want more. Not more from our music careers. Most people don't want to be a rock star when they get older. But maybe we want more from our relationships with God. 
Maybe you followed Jesus, but if you're honest, it's felt a little dry, a little lifeless. Maybe your relationship with God is boring for you. You don't know what you're doing. You go through the motions, but there's no excitement with God. Maybe it feels like it's all about religion, but you want more. See, as we face dry Christianity, we also usually will face a powerlessness or powerless Christianity. Excuse me. We do not accomplish a lot for God because we feel under-equipped. We don't have the tools necessary to be a witness for God. We want power from God, but we do not know how to get it. See, following Jesus, it's supposed to be challenging. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to test you, and it requires complete devotion. But it wasn't meant to be all boring and void of life because there is more for us. We're currently in our sermon series called Right to More. We've established this semester that we have simple birthrights as a follower of Jesus, one of which is we have the right to have more of God, and this looks like the Holy Spirit. Last week, we dove into who Holy Spirit is and how he was sent here to help us. He's our helper. All we need to do is admit we need help. If we admit we need help, Holy Spirit's on the way, which begs the question then, well, how? How do we actually receive help from Holy Spirit? We have to encounter him. We have to meet with Holy Spirit, which means we need to encounter the presence of God. God is not just some like divinity up in the clouds that we pray to once a week and call it good. No, God wants to meet you. The Holy Spirit wants to be in your life. The Holy Spirit is just a manifestation of the presence of God. So this is what it means. We get to meet with God. And we see this become true as we look at the early church. The book of Acts is a book in the Bible that is written by this guy named Luke. Maybe you're thinking, wait, I think there's a different book called Luke. That's true, there is. I'm glad you got made that connection. See, Luke and Acts are actually two halves of the same book. Luke is the first half of the book, and that talks about the life of Jesus and everything up until Jesus dying and rising from the grave. The book of Acts is the second half of the book. It's like Avengers Infinity War and then Avengers Endgame. It's the second half, and it tells us the story, not of Jesus, but it tells us the story of the first church. So Jesus dies on a cross, he rises from the dead, and then he gathers his disciples and he spends time with them for 40 days. And then before he gets ready to depart his disciples and go back to God, he gathers them together one more time and he gives them some parting instructions. He orders them to wait for the promise. And this is the same promise we read about last week in John 14 and John 16. This is the promise of the helper or the promise of the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, And while staying with them, this is Jesus staying with his disciples, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Listen to this verse. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, I pray that you will just speak to us tonight. Jesus, I pray that you'll stir our hearts so we can have a strong encounter with you, Father. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. So Jesus does the most miraculous thing in history. He dies and then comes back. That's pretty cool. He does that, and then in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we read another account of Jesus gathering his disciples. And in this account, when Jesus gathers them, he says, okay, disciples, I just died and I rose again. That's pretty cool. But now it's your turn. You need to go build the first church. You need to go build the first group of Jesus followers. He pumps them up. He says, go tell people what I've done. Go build the church. And then he says, oh, by the way, but before you do that, you need to go to Jerusalem and wait. 
The disciples were probably like really pumped up, like, yes, Jesus came back from the dead, and we're about to go start this church. They're ready to go, and then they're let down, like, wait, I need to wait? Think of it like if you played sports, the coach gives you this amazing pregame speech. He gets you so pumped up, and you're ready to run out of the locker room. And right before you run out of the tunnel, he says, oh, wait, the game starts in three hours. You can go grab a snack, just chill a little bit, and you're like, I've got this adrenaline pumping for no reason. What am I supposed to do with all this? And you go angrily, like, eat some Cheetos or something. Don't do that before a game. That wouldn't make any sense. But you might be a little confused. You're like, I'm ready now. I want to go play this game now. I do not want to wait. But Jesus tells them, he says, I know you're excited, but I need you to wait. He tells them to wait because they weren't fully equipped. They needed power to accomplish what God was asking of them. They needed power from Holy Spirit in order to be a witness. They needed to meet with God and encounter his presence before they could be sent out. So then in Acts 1, 13 and 14, it tells us that the disciples actually, so Jesus says, wait, so all right, well, wait. So they go to this, what's called the upper room, and they just start praying together. They start gathering together and praying, seeking after God. They devoted themselves to prayer, it says. They slowed down, and they intentionally wait for God. They lingered for an encounter with Holy Spirit. Encounters with Holy Spirit, they take time and intentionality. Too often we want to run through our spirituality. We like to rush through everything in life, even Jesus. So we want to be able to like pray for 30 seconds while we brush our teeth and be like, good to go for the day. I'm like, we're done now. But that's not quite how God works. We have to learn to linger with God and wait on his timing if we want to develop intimacy. Intimacy cannot be rushed. Just like if you're in a relationship, usually you don't meet someone like 30 seconds later, like we're going to get married. Usually there's more time in between there. Not always, but usually there is. Not only do we need to trust his timing and wait, but we also need to be intentional. See, the disciples didn't just get, hear this thing that they need to go wait for the promise and then go willy-nilly, keep doing what they were doing, living their lives, and then, oh, happen upon the Holy Spirit. That was fun. That was by accident. No, that's not what happened. The disciples intentionally go to the upper room. They intentionally pray, and they t- intentionally devote themselves to God. A lot of times, encounters with God do not happen on accident. They happen because we intentionally set aside time to be with God. This is why we do things like fall retreat. It is us intentionally setting aside time to be with God. It is us sacrificing what is urgent or right in front of us or what we think is most important for what is actually the most important thing, which is being in the presence of God. The disciples may have been thinking, you know, i got to go build the church, Jesus. You told me that. Like, I've also got my family. I haven't seen them in a while. It's been, I've been hanging out with you for three years. I've got to go back to my family now. i got my job. They may have fired me. I don't know. i got to go back to it. I'm busy, Jesus. I don't have time to focus on God and go pray. Maybe like, I can't give my whole weekend to just the presence of you, God. I've got other things to do. And I get it. Disciples are busy. We're busy people. And I don't think God would be mad at them. But in order for the disciples to have this encounter with God that they go on to have, and we're going to read about in a few minutes, in order for them to have this powerful time in the presence of God, they had to intentionally set aside time for the Holy Spirit. You can't expect these powerful moments with God and God to radically change your life if you're not willing to give him the time of day. That's just not fair. So if you want to encounter Holy Spirit, if you want to see your relationship with Jesus filled with life, you must be willing to set aside time to be with him by doing things such as coming to fall retreat. Also, more than that, though, having daily prayer times, reading the Bible, coming to services, coming to morning prayer, which we do every Thursday at 7 a.m. Love to see you there. See, I think too often... We think things like, I just don't know enough to actually encounter God or meet with him. 
we think, I'm just too new to this thing. I haven't read the Bible enough. I don't have enough knowledge. Or maybe we think things like, actually, I'm just too sinful. I've made too many mistakes to meet with God. But we are never too sinful to meet with God. Oftentimes, we're too busy to meet with God, but we're never too sinful. We have to prioritize the presence of God if we want to see our lives changed. The disciples, they learn to linger, and they don't let busyness or urgency get in the way of what God is trying to do in their lives, and then they encounter Holy Spirit in the most powerful way we've ever seen in all of history. We read about this encounter they have with God in Acts chapter 2. Verses 1 through 4 says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, as in the disciples, they're all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them. That would terrify me, by the way. But anyways, it rested on each one of them on top of their head. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We are called to encounter the presence of God in many ways in our lives, but this experience that we read about in Acts 2 is a very specific encounter that we can have with God, and this is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember back in Acts 1-5, I read this just a few minutes ago, it said this, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then there's that, not many days from now, we read Acts 2, and they have this encounter where they experienced the promise Jesus had for them. This is just like the answering of the promise of Jesus. Because Jesus promised them you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A few days later, we read Acts 2. What is this baptism, though? Remember from last week that the New Testament was actually written in the Greek language. And our English word baptized comes from the Greek word baptizo. And baptizo directly translated means to immerse, to overwhelm, to submerge, to like dunk something. So most of the time when we think of this word baptism, we think of being baptized in water, right? You see that a lot in church. But these are two different things. Being baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit are different things. Water baptism is what happens when we confess that Jesus is Lord. And then we publicly declare in front of all of our friends and family and say, I'm on Jesus' team now. And then we go get dunked or immersed in water as a symbol of us being cleansed from sin. We're actually going to have an opportunity to do water baptisms this weekend at Fall Retreat. For those of you that are interested, if you've recently given your life to Jesus or maybe come back to God, I highly encourage you to get baptized in water this weekend. It's a symbol. It's a symbol of you like dying as you're dunked to your old self and when you're raised up, being raised to a new self as a follower of Jesus. However, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is different from that. Instead of being immersed, dunked, submerged in water, you're immersed in the Holy Spirit. So what happens is when you have an encounter with God, after you give your life to Jesus, where Jesus baptizes you, immerses you in the Holy Spirit, and you are overwhelmed, overflowing with the presence of God, overflowing with the Holy Spirit in your life. As we learned last week, all Jesus followers, we all have, the, or we all have excuse me, Holy Spirit inside of us. So imagine this like a Coke bottle. So when a Coke bottle is empty, that's you before you know God. And then when you say Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God saved you and has forgiven you of your sins, it's like that empty Coke bottle being filled up with Coke. The Coke, which sounds like cocaine, I tried to pick something else, but anyways, the Coca-Cola is the Holy Spirit filling us. So we have Holy Spirit inside of us. You're full of the Holy Spirit as soon as you accept Jesus as Lord, just like the Coke bottle is filled up with Coke. And this is where the disciples were before Acts 2. Jesus was their Lord, and they had Holy Spirit inside of them. 
And we know this because of what it says in John 20, 22. This is before Acts 2. And when he had said this, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So they have the Holy Spirit before the book of Acts. But Jesus then says there, I have more for you. And this more is what he promised in Acts 1.8. And you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This Holy Spirit coming upon them is what we read about in Acts chapter 2. When they are baptized in the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues. Let's go back to the Coke bottle. Again, you're empty. You call Jesus Lord. You're filled up with the Holy Spirit or filled up with Coke. And then this encounter that we'll call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this encounter with God where the Holy Spirit overflows inside of us is like this. Maybe. Three, oh. Kaziah's bag is really freaking me out a little bit, but that's all right. I gave them clear instructions when they made that. I said, you need to be soaked in Coke, and none of them followed my instructions at all. I wanted them to pick up the bottle and, like, spray it at their head, but none of them did that. So I don't know why she wore the bag, but that's fine. Anyways, so when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's like this experience where the Holy Spirit that's already inside of us just starts to overflow. So it's just more. It's an immersion. It's a submersion in the Holy Spirit, and and the Holy Spirit overflows inside of us just like that video. And when the Holy Spirit overflows and then starts to come out, like the Coke coming out of the bottle, this is shown to us through this gift or this idea called speaking in tongues and through these things called spiritual gifts. Long story short, all the disciples, they are Jewish. And then in Acts chapter 2, all the Jewish people from around the world, they all come and gather in the city where the disciples are in Jerusalem. They're all coming there for this big festival. Okay, So as these people that are from many different countries which speak many different languages, they all gather, they start to hear their native language being heard from this upper room, from this different building. They're like, what's going on? Why are people speaking my language? So then they go and investigate to see what happens. And when they meet them, they recognize, wait, these people are not from where I'm from. They're from a different country. You could tell by the way they looked. And back then, there's no such thing as like Duolingo. So they weren't learning languages. They didn't take German in high school like I did. I can't speak any German. But anyways, they're really confused. They're like, how do you know how to speak my language? Like, this isn't possible. So that shows us that something supernatural or bigger than just this natural world happened. It would be like if I just started speaking French. I can't speak any French. I went to Paris, and I had no clue what was going on half the time. I can't speak French. But if I just supernaturally started speaking French, that would be weird, right? Something would have to happen. This is called speaking in tongues. We read about this in 1 Corinthians 14, that speaking in tongues is a good gift from God, and it helps us pray. It gets us closer to God. In Acts chapter 2, this is the first time anyone speaks in tongues. And what speaking in tongues is, it's just when you kind of give God like control of your tongue, and you start speaking things that you don't know what it is. It could be another earthly language, like you start speaking French and you don't know how to speak French. Or more commonly, you start speaking like a heavenly language, just between you and God. The point is not what language am I speaking? Can I Google this and feel cool about myself? That's not the point. The point is it's just a way for God to pray kind of through you. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes I run out of things to pray. Specifically at like 6 o'clock in the morning, I'm half falling asleep, like, I don't know what to do. So then when we speak in tongues, it's just us praying when we really don't know what to say. And it's Holy Spirit praying through us. I know this sounds kind of spooky. I would rather not do this during Halloween time, but like, God controls my tongue. That sounds, he doesn't take your tongue like, that's not what he does. That's how this is. That would be kind of cool. And you know, that's not what it is. But it's just, it's really, it's a, 
So the book of James tells us that the tongue is really hard to be, to be tamed, and it's something that's really hard to control. So it's God saying, okay, I'm going to take the least controllable thing in your body, and I'm going to take control of it, because I'm going to prove to you how powerful I am. So he takes control of our tongue and starts to, like, we speak in this language that we don't quite understand. So the disciples, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they're given this gift of speaking in tongues. And most people would say that speaking in tongues is actually the evidence of you being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Think of it like a receipt. You buy something, like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't buy it, by the way. You can't. We'll, we'll learn in a few chapters you can't do that. But you get a receipt that's proof that you bought what you purchased, right? So speaking in tongues is like the receipt. Here's the proof that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why do we think that? Well, we think that because of the instances in the book of Acts where we read about this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Most often, it is accompanied by people speaking in tongues. So if this experience where people are baptized in the Holy Spirit, have this radical encounter with God and speak in tongues, if this only happened in Acts chapter 2, if it's a one-time thing, I would say that was just for a one-time thing, right? We don't need to repeat it. That was just for then for the Holy Spirit to come upon them and for us to be able to encounter God in that way. But we see a pattern. This experience is repeated all throughout the book of Acts. The first time is what we just read in Acts chapter 2 when the disciples are baptized in the Holy Spirit. But then if we continue on to Acts chapter 8, which again, the book of Acts is just the story of the early church, the Samaritans are baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Samaritans are like half-Jews. So go back to that time period, try to put yourself in their shoes, their nationality, their race. That was very, very important to them. They are very proud of being Jewish. And they thought that Jesus and Holy Spirit was only for them, only for the Jewish people. Then the Samaritans, or the half-Jews, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, which shows that Jesus, Holy Spirit, is not just for the Jewish people, it's for everyone. So after this group of Samaritans start following Jesus, they commit their lives to him first. After that, the disciples come to them, and they pray over them, and they pray for them to receive this gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And after the Samaritans receive it, it says that this guy named Simon, the magician, he's looking at it, and he sees them pray over them for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he's like, hello, good sir. May I purchase the ability to baptize people in the Holy Spirit? To which he gets rebuked in, in trouble. So don't do that. But the point I tell you for that is clearly when these Samaritans are baptized in the Holy Spirit, something had to happen. If all that happened is they just got like an inner tingly and like goosebumps and like presence of God, yes. If that's all that happened, Simon wouldn't be like, with a magnify, I see a goosebump. Can I purchase that ability, please? No, something outward and physical had to happen. And because of what we read in the next couple of accounts, we can assume that it's speaking in tongues. It could be something else. They could have done some other spiritual gift. But we think most people would guess that it's speaking in tongues. If we continue on in Acts chapter 9, Paul, who is the apostle who like goes on to write a lot of the New Testament, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he later says that he speaks in tongues more than all of us. He was really proud of that fact, I guess. So it's very clear that Paul believed in speaking in tongues. Let's continue to Acts chapter 10. The Gentiles are now baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is important. So I talked about we got the Jewish people, we got the Samaritans, which are like half Jewish people, and then we got the Gentiles, which is what most of us are. They're not Jewish at all. So this shows us that Holy Spirit baptism is available to every people group. No matter what your nationality is, no matter like your upbringing, no matter what race or color you are, everyone has access to this gift from God. It says in Acts chapter 10, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. 
And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jewish people, they're the ones who got circumcised, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Those stinky Gentiles were the stinky Gentiles. Anyways, 46 says, For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extol God. Again, baptized Holy Spirit, speak in tongues. Finally, in Acts chapter 19, which is about 20 years after Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 2 is the first time this happened. 20 years later, it happens again to another group of Gentiles. They're the Ephesians, which they're just non-Jewish people. And they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is really important for a, for a few reasons. First of all, again, it's another group that's not of Jewish people, so that's important. The Gentiles are showing them again. But a really big thing is this event in Acts 19 happened 20 years after the first time. That shows us that it kept happening. It wasn't just a one-time event. Actually, if you look at church history, the early church, the first church of Jesus, was defined by encounters with Holy Spirit. It was defined by people being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And if we want to be like the early church, not the Church of America, but the Church of Jesus, if we want to be like the church that Jesus and his disciples designed, we should pursue these things as well. So it kept happening. Acts, or that being 20 years later, proves that. Second of all, the fact that it happened to the same people group, the Gentiles, this disproves one theory. So some people say that this experience or encounter with God called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was only in the book of Acts to show that God wasn't a God of partiality because, again, their people group was really important to them. So, like, God just wanted to pour out his spirit on each people group to prove that everyone is welcome in the family. And the point of the baptism of the Holy Spirit just to prove to everyone, have an outward thing where everyone's welcome. That would make sense if it wasn't for Acts chapter 19. Because in Acts 19, again, it's much later, and it's just a repeat of the same people group of the Gentiles. It's not like a new people group. It's the same exact people. And I believe Luke, who's the author of Acts, I think he left this, account in his, left this in his account, in his book, to prove that this kept happening. Not just for one people group one time, but to multiple people groups for all of time. It just kept happening. It wasn't just a one time for each group to prove that everyone deserves it. No, it continued to happen in the early church. The book of Acts doesn't tell us everything that happened in the early church. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it happened more than just these five times. But he put this one in there to prove to us 20 years later this is still going on. The Bible also never goes on to say you should not seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It never says to not seek spiritual gifts. It often says actually that spiritual gifts, which is things like speaking in tongues, it says that those are good gifts from God. You should pursue them. So if Jesus offered this encounter to the disciples... And then no one ever says that this gift is not for us. Why would we not seek more from the power of God? Speaking in tongues is also just one of many spiritual gifts. It's not more important or better. Actually, it says prophecy is better, but we'll get to that at a different time. But we have access to many different spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to dive into all of them. I would keep you here to like midnight if we did that, so I'm not going to do that to you. But there's things like prophecy, words of knowledge, which is when you like read someone's mail. It's kind of like what Shekinah was talking about when someone came up and said, I think this is for someone else. That's from the Holy Spirit, a spiritual gift. Healing, where like you pray over someone to get like healed in their arm and it gets healed. These are different spiritual gifts. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, it gives you the list of the spiritual gifts. Quick note about these spiritual gifts though. Spiritual gifts, which again, spiritual gifts are just like supernatural things. So things that aren't like common or normal, supernatural things that we get access to. All these spiritual gifts should be encouraging. They should be gentle. They should be orderly. Even though we're talking about something supernatural, something that's a little strange, a little out there, God is still a God of order. 
That's why you've never heard me like speak in tongues from the stage because you would have no clue what I'm talking about. That would make no sense why I would do that. No one shouts out a prayer language, just yells at people. That's not from God. Unless there's an interpretation, which let's get to my next idea. There's actually two forms of what's called speaking in tongues. This first form of speaking in tongues is a private prayer language or just you and God. You don't know what you're saying, but it's just helping you pray and connect to God. This is to be done privately, a private prayer language. This is the most common. This is what most people experience. But then there's the special gift that we'll call public tongues when someone stands up and they say it like a, something in a random language that they don't know to everyone. That's only allowed if someone else then gets up and says, this is what that meant and explains it to us because God is a God of order, not a God of chaos, and God does not want everyone confused. That's not what God's about. Remember, the Holy Spirit comes to bring peace and to bring comfort, not to bring division and just make everyone mad at each other or really, really confused. So that's not from God. That's not, no one in Chi Alpha is going to be jumping from the chandeliers like yelling in the Holy Spirit. That's not happening here. Or if it does, then I'll have Victor come and talk to you after service. i got to stop picking on Victor. Anyways... So all this to say that when we have encounters with Holy Spirit, even though they're supernatural and a little bit out there, they should have a sense of order because he's a God of order. If you have questions on any of these things, which there's a lot of things, please don't be afraid to ask. Ask your small group leader. Ask me. Ask our staff team. I know this is a little bit weird. Please ask. I know this is a lot of information. I know this might sound a little kooky. Like, why are you speaking a different language? Can I just stick to English? That's good with me. I get it. This idea of baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's confusing. And to be honest, when I first heard of it, I'm like, ah, I don't know what I think about that. I'm not much of like a feeler, like feeling the presence of God. I like spreadsheets. Those are fun for me, especially the ones that have equations in them and they're color-coded. Color-coded from the Lord. I can't see colors. So I don't really know why I like it. But anyways, I'm colorblind. Well, I can see colors. I just see the wrong ones. But that's not relevant to the Holy Spirit. My life with Jesus has been more about like processes. I never had like this big moment where like a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, I am so sinful. I need to run back to God. That never happened for me. For me, I've slowly fallen in love with Jesus more over time. So this idea of having this big experience with God, to be honest, in my normal self, makes me a little uncomfortable. I'm gonna go on a limb and say this idea might make you uncomfortable. Maybe you've heard of this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit before. And maybe you've been told, eh, I'm not sure if that's for today. Or more likely, if you grew up in church, your church probably never taught on it unless you went to a specific kind of church that Chi Alpha is a part of. So you might be confused. Why am I just hearing about this thing? I've been in church every Sunday, and this is weird. I could give you a very, very long explanation on why that is, but I will not do that to you right now. Simply put, as we learned, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, that was very common in the early church. Spiritual gifts were prevalent in that time. And then to give you a history lesson, I was a history teacher, the, or history teaching major. I didn't actually do it. I teach you now. But anyways, the Roman Empire comes and takes over the church. Do they do this because they all fall in love with Jesus? No, they do it because they want to organize and control everything. But anyways, praise Jesus for the Roman Empire. So they come, they take over the church, and they systematize everything. Everything gets order, everything gets structure to run through the government. And when this happens, the supernatural or spiritual aspects of the church all died out. Because what the Roman Empire did is they said, you aren't in charge of your own relationship with God. That comes into the hands of the religious officials. The people who like are the church and the clergy, they get control of your walk with God. And you don't really need to read the Bible or do these things on your own. They took it out of, their, out of the layperson's hands. So then people stopped having this experience because they weren't reading about it in the book of Acts. So they weren't seeking it because they weren't teaching on it because it's a little kooky. And then as different denominations start to form, probably some of the ones you guys may have grown up in, 
They never had this encounter with God, so then they never teach on it, obviously, because they never encounter it, which makes complete sense. And this becomes a part of their tradition to not teach on it. So the first pastor of the church doesn't teach on it, so then the second pastor of the church isn't going to teach on it, the third pastor of the church doesn't teach on it, which makes sense. And this all continued until the 1900s, 1906 to be exact, when a lot of people started getting baptized in the Holy Spirit at the same time. And they began to teach on it. So actually people from Los Angeles and Little Rock, Arkansas, and the country of Wales all across the globe, they all started doing what there's called like a revival where a ton of people started coming to know Jesus and a ton of people started getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this was, they weren't like tweeting like, yo, 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 I just spoke in tongues. Can I get an amen? Hashtag life changed. No, they weren't talking to each other about it because there weren't phones. So this just started happening randomly all across the globe because God was doing something. And then people started to teach on it again. And that's where actually like Kaiof was birthed and things like that. So most people in various denominations, they're not against the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're just kind of like confused about it. Like, I don't know a whole lot about it. I think most people, if you ask them, like a pastor might say, yeah, that could happen. I've just never seen it. So I just don't think about it a whole lot, which was me before I've experienced it. There are more reasons why you may have never heard about this. And if you would be curious, you could certainly come and ask me, but I don't want to dive into all of them. So let's go back to the beginning of our story tonight. If you remember, Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the power of God. He tells them to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But why? Why did the disciples need this weird encounter? Better yet, why do you and I need this today? This goes back to my original story with Jeff Holes, the guitar teacher. See, I was a musician before I encountered Jeff. I knew how to play the instrument. But my music career, it lacked life, it lacked excitement, and to be honest, I lacked the tools necessary to be as good of a musician as I could possibly be. You can certainly, please hear this, you can be a Christian without being baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's many very godly people, much more godly than I, who have never had this encounter with God. It's not like a prerequisite to following Jesus. So why do we pursue it? We don't pursue it because we have to. As we learn from the book of Acts, we pursue it because it's just a gift, and we get to, just like the early disciples did, because we're under-equipped. We lack power to do what God has asked of us. See, the disciples in the book of Acts, they had all the excitement, all the ambition in the world. Their friend just rose from the dead. They were probably all jacked up, like, let's go. But they didn't have the power necessary to build the first church. So remember, what Jesus told the disciples, he says, all right, you are to therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to make disciples of all nations. They were told they need to go tell the whole world about Jesus. That is a big task. We have a big world. And again, there's no Instagram. They're not posting a picture of the resurrection. The disciples... Were they the educated religious elite? No, in fact, they were uneducated, very young, probably younger than some of you, and they were very underqualified men. So on their own, they had no chance to create the early church. So Jesus knew, you guys need power. You need power to be a witness. And what's the proof that the disciples didn't have what it takes? The proof starts in John 20. So in John 20, Jesus just died on the cross, and he rose from the grave. And where do we find his trusty disciples 2019 says this, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. That means they were hiding from the religious people because they were scared. And they locked the door. It's like me at night. I make sure every door is locked. I check like three times to make sure the doors are locked because I'm scared of burglars. 
okay? I don't want to be taught or caught. The disciples were scared. They were literally hiding from Jewish people because they were terrified. They were full of fear. They were powerless. And then in Acts chapter 2, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens, and then the disciples go from hiding from the Jewish people to boldly proclaiming that Christ has come, and they start the first church. Literally every disciple except one, every one of those little hiders except one, goes on to die for the relationship with Jesus. How do you go from hiding to dying for the cause? Something had to happen in between there to give them boldness, right? And I think it's what Acts 1 tells us. They received power from the Holy Spirit to be a witness. If that's not convincing enough, let's focus in on one of those disciples. Before Jesus dies on the cross, his best buddy, his number one disciple, his name is Peter. Peter doesn't just hide. He actually denies that he knows Jesus to a little girl. This little girl say, hey, do you know Jesus? No, I do not. Get behind me. I have no idea what's going on. He was scared. He wouldn't even tell a little girl about it. Then Acts chapter 2 happens. He's baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he goes from scared of a little girl to standing up and giving a sermon, doing what I'm doing right now, but 3,000 people come to know Jesus. And in this sermon, Peter boldly says this. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, please hear this, this is what he said. You crucified and you killed him by the, lawless, by the hands of lawless men. He goes from hiding from a little girl to accusing all these Jewish religious leaders of killing the Messiah, of killing the chosen one. And he says, you need to repent and come follow Jesus. That's a little harsh. He goes on to create the first church. He goes on to die for Jesus. Clearly something gave him boldness. But something is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was not just this one-time event where people encountered God in a cool way, spoke in some funky language, and then went on their lives. No, because the purpose is not to speak in tongues. It's not just about this gift. No, the purpose is given to us in Acts 1.8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The purpose is to receive power. The purpose is to be a better witness. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not about being better than other Christians. It's not like a spiritual level up. It's not like Pokemon when you evolve. It's none of those things. It's about receiving power from the Holy Spirit to help our friends come to know King Jesus. Peter did not become better than anyone else because he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. No, he became a better version of himself. The disciples needed power from God because they had the entire world to reach. I don't know if you've looked around recently, but we have a whole world to reach. Not the whole world, just 68% of it. 68% of the world's population does not follow Jesus. We're not even halfway there. We've got a lot of work to do, my friends. There are many people who need to know Jesus. And I don't know about you. On my own, I don't think I can do it. On my own... I'm a very, very introverted person. I am not bold. I'm quite fearful. I'll be honest, I'm terrified of talking to new people on my own. That's just the way God wired me. I need power from God if I want to accomplish anything for Jesus because on my own, I can't do it. Although I'm not bold, I have a heart to see Jesus come back. And Jesus promises us, he says, if you go and proclaim the gospel to all nations, then I will come back. And I would like to see him return sometime soon. So we must proclaim the gospel or the good news of Jesus to all nations. I also want my friends to know Jesus. It is heartbreaking that the people around us are dying and going to hell. That should mess with us. See, I want to do whatever it takes to receive help and witnessing to them. 
And if this looks like having this encounter with Holy Spirit that might be slightly uncomfortable and a little strange and something I never heard of, then so be it. Sign me up. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift from Jesus, and Jesus does not give evil or bad gifts. The Bible is clear that a good father gives good gifts. So if this is a gift from our good father, from God, it has to be good. If this encounter will help me reach my friends, then I'm all in. I've thrown a ton at you tonight, right? We've talked about this encounter with the Holy Spirit, which if I remember, I told you last week, it's not a force, it's not Star Wars, it's a person. Called the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then I'll receive power to be a witness. And this can sound a little strange. Although this is a little strange, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's definitely not the weirdest part of following Jesus. If I can get behind a virgin giving birth to the Son of God without doing the thing that leads to pregnancy. Nothing beats a pregnant virgin in the category of weirdness. If I can get behind that, this idea of having an encounter with God where I'm filled with the presence of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and I speak in tongues, that does not out-weird the pregnant virgin. So if I can get behind that, I'm going to take the whole thing then. And what the book of Acts says, I'm going to take it because what the Bible says goes. That's the number one belief system of Chi Alpha is what the Bible says goes. It gets even weirder. God talks through donkeys. Read the Bible. This isn't the weird one. We'll get there in the second semester. Anyways, here's my hope for tonight, Chi Alpha. See, I know a lot of it, of this thing might be confusing and that's okay. You don't have to have it all figured out. My heart is not that you'll understand it all. My heart is that you'll be open to whatever God has for you. If this is experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's awesome. If all this looks like is you're like, I don't know about that yet, but I just wanna, I need to start like praying a little bit. Awesome, do that. I just want you to be open to whatever God has for your life because God wants to use this group of students to change the world. And I do not want you sitting on the bench scared, not willing to let God move in your life. See, we have to recognize we can't do it on our own. We need help, we are under-equipped. We do not have the power to reach our friends for Jesus. And my prayer is that we will not let our own comfort level, our own busyness, our own ideas get in the way of what Holy Spirit wants to do. We are devoting an entire weekend to just being with God. Please come open and expectant for God to move. If you expect it to be a boring weekend where you get nothing, it's going to be a boring weekend where you get nothing. But if you expect God to change your life, I promise he's going to turn your world upside down. And the only reason we get access to the power of God is because of Jesus. It all goes back to Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and this Holy Spirit thing, that's way out there. You're not even sure if you have a relationship with Jesus. We're going to start there. That's more important. See, the basis of Peter's first sermon that he gives right after he's baptized in the Holy Spirit, this is his sermon. It's quite simple. He preaches, hey, Jesus, he came and he was perfect. And then he died on a cross for you to pay for your sin. Because guess what? You've messed up. You've made a lot of mistakes. So you need to run to God and he'll forgive you of your sins. That's the good news of Jesus right there. Jesus is perfect. We're not. He died to pay the penalty for us. So let's run to him and let him cover us with grace. So if that's you tonight and you haven't turned back to God, I encourage you to start there and to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are Lord. Because we serve a God of power. But not only power, we also serve a God of love. A God that loves you so much that just wants a relationship with you. I want to tell you one last story. About 20 years ago, the Chi Alpha at North Dakota State University, which is in the middle of nowhere, had about 50 students. 
And their pastor, Brad Lewis, he had been on that Chi Alpha team. He'd worked and led Chi Alpha for 15 years. 15 years and he had like 40 or 50 students. That's not a huge group to show for his work. Then this group of hungry students come into his Chi Alpha group. And they come in with a burden. They have a burden to see the lost students on their campus come to know Jesus. Their heart was broken for people dying and going to hell. They wanted to reach their campus for Jesus. So what was their plan? How are they going to reach their friends? Did they start doing more fun activities? No. Did they start giving away things? Did they start giving away even more free Chick-fil-A sandwiches? No, that wasn't their strategy. What did this group of students do? They started to pray, and they started to seek the power from the Holy Spirit. They would go into their church building in the middle of the night, and they would just pray and cry out for their lost students on their campus. They would pray all night, God, fill us with the Holy Spirit. They would encounter Holy Spirit time and time again. Their number one priority was this baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, because they knew they had no chance to reach the students on their campus without the power of God. That Chi Alpha group that was around 50 students in a few years grew to be 900 students. And it was not because their pastor started giving slick messages. Their pastor is a 50-year-old farmer who looks and acts exactly like that sounds. I love you, Pastor Brad. I know you don't listen to this because you've got other more important things to do. But he is old, and he was literally a farmer. And 900 college students came into that group. The reason they saw explosive growth was because they encountered Holy Spirit and they prioritized continuing to encounter Holy Spirit time and time and time again. Let me be real with all of you. I have this dream. I've had this dream since I was 18 year old, 18 years old, when I started campanealing with Taylor. Don't campanile, it's when you kiss your girlfriend at midnight. But I was campanealing, don't judge me for that. And I had this thought from God. And I felt like the Lord told me after I sinned, <laughs> said, Jesus, he, Jesus said, Derek, I want to use you to change this campus. I got this vision, this vision of every seat in this auditorium eventually to be filled with students who love Jesus. See, I had this dream of the Unidome being filled with people worshiping God. I have a dream of 10,000 students, the 10,000 students of you and I, all on their knees bowing to King Jesus. Our entire life is devoted to that dream of seeing the students of our campus come to know God because they are hopeless and trying to find satisfaction through the world around them, through being good at school, through going out and having as much fun as possible to just regret it the next day, through hooking up as much as possible. And they think that's going to fill me and it doesn't work. And I'm sick of seeing students dying and living a life that has no satisfaction and no fulfillment around me. So we are committed to seeing students on our campus come to know the name of Jesus. But as I have that dream, I also recognize that I do not have what it takes. We will not reach our campus through having cool shirts, through having good music, through funny talks where the pastor makes fun of themselves, through the best small groups, through bumping lights. None of those things will make a difference because they lack the power of God. We need power from God to see our campus turned upside down. We have reached the, the ceiling of what we can get from doing things well. We've reached that ceiling. We've got to break through that ceiling because I have 10,000 students I want to see bowing to Jesus. We need the power of God and every tool that Jesus can give us to reach our friends. We need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit if we want to see this dream come to life. As I look at our Chi Alpha group, you, I am so encouraged. This is 
one of the hungriest group of students I've ever seen gathered. I think God wants to use every one of you to change the world. I don't just say that I fully believe that. I believe this is the group of students that we're gonna see revival or a ton of students come to know Jesus. I think this is the group. I think this dream's gonna start coming to life. But what's gonna take is all of you being willing to prioritize the presence of God, to be willing to commit to Jesus, to commit to the cause of Christ and for you to be willing to say, I can't do it on my own. I need the power of God. And if we will do that, we'll see our campus turned upside down. We all stand with me. If you're here tonight, and this Holy Spirit thing has been a little confusing, but the idea of Jesus is attractive to you, and maybe you felt hopeless, you've been that student who's pursuing the world, and you want to change that, and you want to run to God and make him your Lord, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. So if everyone will close your eyes, bow your heads, I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, just as a symbol to God, not to anyone else, but just as an outward sign to say, God, I'm all in, if you'll raise your hand to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, on the count of three, raise your hand, one, two, Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, God. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. God, we thank you for what you've done tonight and what you're going to continue to do in our group. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. My second challenge for you tonight is this. Come this weekend ready to see God blow your doors off. Because I think God wants to use this group to change the world. And I think this weekend is like us getting, it's like the pregame speech. We're getting equipped and we're going to come back on fire for Jesus. Amen. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this group of students. There's no group of people that I would rather do life with than this group of students, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now, God. We don't need to wait until this weekend to meet with you. We want to meet with you right now. But God, we do pray that this weekend is the most important weekend in the history of Chi Alpha, you and I. We love you, Jesus.